There is no substitute for the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Each weekday on Enjoying the Journey, Scott Pauley leads us in a brief study of Scripture. Today, on the Weekend Pulpit, we are happy to share a full-length Bible message given through Scott's pulpit ministry. These messages were recorded live in a local church or gospel event in recent days. It is our prayer that the message will be a help to you today. I'm looking around this morning. There's some tired humans in the place today. And uh, how many of you are a little weary in well-doing? Anybody? It's Wednesday. And so I want you to do something with me. Let's have a little exercise together, everybody. I want you to put your right arm out in front of you just like this, everybody. And I'd like you to jab the person to your right as hard as you possibly can. And then I want you to put your left arm in front of you and jab the person to your left as hard as you can. Good. And now I want you to stop beating them to death and look back at me just a moment. Look, 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 look. If your neighbor goes to sleep while I'm preaching this morning, you have my permission to do that again, all right? So just trying to get you alive, awake, alert, enthusiastic. How many of you have a Christian hangover this morning? A Christian hangover is too much camp and not enough coffee. That's what it is. And I'm living the dream today. If I fall asleep while I'm preaching, throw something at me, all right? We'll all try to stay with it for the next few minutes. I'm excited about this particular session this morning because the Scripture passage we're in is one that is so tremendously encouraging. I will just tell you, everybody's having a hard time with something, everybody. Everybody in this room, even the people act like they got it all together. Even the people that, you know, you look at them and you think, man, they got it all. Everybody's having a hard time with something and everybody needs encouragement. And the scripture we're going to this morning is a tremendous encouragement. I want you to open your Bible with me in the New Testament to the book of Ephesians chapter number 1. Now, Ephesians is an interesting book. It's a book of fullness. In the book of Ephesians, you have the fullness of God, the fullness of Christ, and the fullness of the Holy Spirit. God doesn't want you to be an empty person. He wants you to be full of Him. And if your life is full of God, full of Christ full of the Holy Spirit, it will be a fulfilled life. In fact, in the Psalms, we'll come to this text tomorrow, the psalmist said, my cup runneth over. God not only wants you to be full, God wants you to be flowing. God wants you to be overflowing with His goodness in your life. Ephesians is a rich doctrinal book. I love the Bible. I really do. I love the Bible. I hope you grow to love the Bible. If nothing else happens this week, but you fall in love with the Word of God in a new way, you'll be a different person. And I'm going to tell you why. Because when you fall in love with the Word of God, you start falling in love with the God of the Word. When you get into the Bible and you start seeing God in the pages of Scripture, you know, the Bible's amazing because it's a mirror. We all know that. James said it's a mirror. It shows you you. 
But it's not just a mirror. It's a lens. It's a telescope that shows you the greatness of our God. And so when you come to Ephesians chapter 1, we see God. And not only do we see God, we see God in a particular way. You remember, do you remember the first morning we had together? We, we asked you a question, what do you think about God? Well, now we're answering that question. And uh, this is one of the ways we answer the question. Look at Ephesians 1 and verse number 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace from God. And here's the two words I want you to circle in your Bible today. Our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. God, our Father. Do you know where the first mention of God as a Father is in the Bible? You know, first mention things are, are important. The first time in the Bible that God is revealed as a Father is in the book of Exodus. And He's the one who reveals Himself that way. He actually says to, to Pharaoh, you've been messing with my son. Now, his son was not Jesus the only begotten son, his son in that passage was Israel. He refers to the nation of Israel, his chosen people, as his son, as his child. And basically, he said, you've been messing with the wrong kid. You've been messing with my child. So he starts revealing himself this way as a father. The Bible's very interesting. Look, all the parts make the whole. You need all 66 books. You need the Old Testament. You need the New Testament. Somebody says, are you an Old Testament person or a New Testament person? Yes. They don't compete with one another. They complete one another. Everything that's introduced in the Old Testament is then completely revealed in the New Testament. It's like you get seed form and then fully developed form. So in the Old Testament, we start to see in little seed form God revealing Himself as a Father. But it's not frequently. It's not to get to the New Testament that repeatedly God is revealed as the Father. Let me ask you a question. Why do you think God would wait to the New Testament to tell us so much about His fatherhood and His relationship with us as His children? And the answer to that is very simple, because only when you get to the New Testament do we get to meet His only begotten Son. See, if you really want to know the Father, the only way you can know the Father is through His Son. That's why Jesus came. The Bible says Jesus is the image of the invisible God. God's a spirit. God, God can't be seen. And yet God said, I'm going to show you myself. I'm going to let you see my son. You want to know what God the Father is like? Look at Jesus. He is the perfect reflection of the heavenly Father. We say sometimes of, of boys, he's a spitting image of his dad. And sometimes that's not always a good thing. But with Jesus... It's a wonderful thing because God the Father is perfect and His only begotten Son is perfect. And Jesus came, He said Himself, to show us the Father. After I got my driver's license, my son just got his a week ago. Lord, help us all. How many of you have your driver's license? Just curious. Yeah. And uh, I, I was driving too fast one day, which you should never do, by the way. Never do. And the bad thing was, not only was I driving too fast through our hometown, I had my mother and my sister in the car with me. That's a recipe for disaster. And my mother said to me, son, you're about to get a ticket. No sooner were the words out of her mouth than the siren went off behind me and the lights went on and I got that sick feeling in the pit of my stomach. Be honest, let's have a confession time. How many of you have ever 
uh, driven too fast, would you raise your hand? Mm -hmm. How many of you ever got pulled over for driving too fast? Ah, here's the real sinners among us. At least the ones who got caught, right? So I pulled over into a bank parking lot, and a police officer came up to the window, and he was not a nice person. He was rough. I mean, there was no niceness about him. He was tough. License and registration. I got my license and my registration, handed it to him. Of course, my sister's sitting in the back seat laughing her head off. It was like Christmas for her, you know. She, she thought it was the greatest day of her life. The guy didn't say much. He took my stuff and went back to the car, and he was back there for a little bit. And finally, he came back up. And, of course, I'm scared out of my mind, you know, going to lose my license, going to get a ticket. Something's going to happen. And he looked at my license, my name and my picture, and he looked at me and looked at my license, looked at me. Finally, he said to me, are you Roger Pauley's boy? And I thought to myself, I wonder if he knew my dad before he got saved or after he got saved. And I said, yes, sir, I am. And he smiled at me. For the very first time, he smiled at me, and he handed me my license back, and he kind of winked, and he said, slow it down and have a nice day. I heard angelic choirs sing the hallelujah chorus. It was a glorious thing. At that moment, the fact that I was identified with the good name of my father, that I resembled him in some way, that at least the name registered something that was to my account, that was to my credit. And let me tell you, let me tell you what I've learned as a child of God, that every good thing in my life has come because God is my Father. That's why when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, here's the way he said start. He said start this way, our what? Father. And later in the New Testament, when we're told more about prayer, we're told that we're to pray in Jesus' name. You know, the hardest thing to do in a conversation is start and stop. So God made it real simple. Here's how you should start your prayers, our Father. And here's how you should end your prayers in Jesus' name. It's not just like a nice way to start and a clever, tidy way to wrap it up. It's not, it's not that at all. No, no. Our Father, that's the entry point of your relationship with God. That's the basis on which you come to Him. You belong to Him. He belongs to you. Look, there could be, there could be 900 people at this camp all saying Dad at the same time. But there are three voices if they were in the place, and I heard those voices, I would know those children belong to me. Why? Because I am their Father. And when I pray in Jesus' name, I'm talking to the Father on the good credit of the good son. How many of you know in every family there's a good son? Would you raise your hand? Yeah. And maybe you're it and maybe you're not. But the reality is in the family of God, there's really only one good son because we're all bad sinners. None of us come in the family of God because we deserve to be there. Nobody struts their way in the presence of God and calls him father. No, we come on the merit and the mercy of the only begotten son, the only beloved son, the only perfect son. And that's why when you look at verse 2, it's great to you in peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm speaking to you this morning on this little subject. Would you write this down? He is our Father. Say that with me, would you please? He is our Father. One more time. He is our Father. Now, there's a problem. In the world we live in, dads have given the Heavenly Father a bad name. I'm speaking as a dad. I'm looking across an audience this morning. Some of you don't have a dad at home. We live in a generation of lots of absentee fathers. That doesn't mean it's right. It's just reality, and I acknowledge it. Sometimes when dads are still there, they're not what they ought to be. 
In some homes, fathers are terribly abusive. Some fathers are angry. Just because dad is at home doesn't mean he's what he ought to be. And look, I'm testifying now. I'm not a perfect father. My dad, God bless him, will be 70 this month. He's exactly 25 years older than me. And I, I'm, I'm happy to tell you that my dad, not, not perfect, but my dad was a good dad. In fact, he's still one of my best friends. Funny how as you get older, you start having a little different perspective. But I learned something. Even the best dads are still sinners. And the best dad on earth is not always going to be right. And, and here's the problem. Some of us grow up looking at our earthly father, and then when we hear about God as our heavenly father, immediately we impose on him what we saw in them, but that's not the way it ought to be. Look, please, the first father is the heavenly father, and he is always good, and he is always right, and he is always loving. You cannot measure God our father by any man that you have known here on earth. No, he's far above all of that. This truth is one of the things that sets the Christian faith apart. I have a friend who's a partner in the Lord's work with me. He is in Baghdad, Iraq this morning. He and his family are serving there as missionaries. Can you imagine? Raising a family in Baghdad. I'm praying for him today. As a matter of fact, he had coffee yesterday with a, with a, a young single adult man uh, an Islamic man who's searching for truth, who's trying to find the true and living God. And, and, and Stephen and I have talked so much about this. One of the things that sets our faith apart and how God, the true God, reveals himself in his word is that in all of these other religions, God is viewed as some far-off, distant, unattainable, unapproachable God. He's an angry God, and you've got to work real hard to make him happy. Listen to me, young person. That is not the God of the Bible. And if that's the God you have in your mind, if that's the image you have of God, then you need what I'm showing you today from Ephesians 1. God is a loving Father who wants the best for all of his children. And there are going to be times in life that you feel like a child. I'm not calling you children this morning. I know at this stage in life you don't want to be thought of that way. But let me tell you, I'm a 44-year-old man, and at this stage in my life, there are days I feel so much like a child, I don't know what to do. And, you know, I found a guy in the Bible who was just like that. His name was Solomon. Maybe you've heard of him. He came to God one day as a grown man, king of Israel, and he said this to God, God, I feel like a child. I don't even know how to go out of the palace, and I don't know how to come into the palace. And God said, it's all right, son. I'm going to give you wisdom. And he made him the wisest man who ever lived. It is okay to feel like a child as long as you know who your father is. There are going to be days that you feel weak and weary and wondering what to do, but I want you to know you have a very good heavenly father. Can I tell you who our father is? Read the next verse. Look at verse 3. Oh, I love this. Blessed be the God and father of, watch, our Lord Jesus Christ. Would you do this? Take your pen, and I want you to connect verse 2, God our Father, to verse 3, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, this will blow you away. Let me tell you who my Father is. My Father, not just any Father. No, no. My Father is the same Father as the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is not just some man we're talking about. No, this is God our Father which means that Jesus used that word in the garden, Abba, Father. He prayed, Papa. That's the word. It's the dearest, 
nearest word. Maybe you have a pet name you call your father. Uh, my, my kids have some names they call me. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what they are either, but uh, they have some pet names. That's what I, Abba is. It was the most intimate Arabic name that could be used. It was like saying Papa. And Jesus used that name. And the Bible says in the New Testament that the Holy Spirit has come to live in us so that when we pray, we can pray Abba Father. Think about this. This is crazy. God made a way so that you could call him the same thing that Jesus calls him. So that you could draw nigh to him because through Jesus you can draw nigh to him. Oh, I love this. He is our father. I wonder, is he your father? And how well do you know your father? And how close to your father are you? See, one of the great things that ought to happen this week is you ought to get to know God a little better. And when you leave, he ought not be some far-off old person seated a million miles away in a rocking chair in heaven. He ought to be recognized as the near God and your father that you can approach at any moment. In Ephesians 1, which you're getting ready to read through today in your God night time, Shows us God our Father. Can I walk you through it quickly? I'll give you a little framework for your devotions today. Follow me. Let's walk through it just for a moment. Look at verse number 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace from God our Father. Number 1, write this down somewhere. The first thing you get when you get a father is you get the Father's resources. You could walk up to me today and say, Brother Scott, I need, I need $100. And I'm going to say to you, well, go talk to your group leader. I'm sure they'd be glad to help you. But if one of my children calls today, which is likely to happen, and say, Dad, I got a problem with the car. I need, I need to put something on this bill. And then as their father, I'm going to say, if I can, if it's in my power, I'm going to try to help you. Why is that? Because children have access to resources that strangers don't have. That's why when you become a child of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, immediately you get access to all the Father's resources. Well, what are those resources? Verse number one, here's the highest honor. You get to be identified with His good name. I like that. Then in verse number 2, here's your deepest needs. You get grace and peace. Can I tell you what everybody in this room needs today? Grace and peace. Every girl that I'm looking at right now, I don't know what you think your need is, but I'm going to tell you what you need today. You need fresh grace. Every young man in this room, I don't know what you think your perceived need is, but I'm going to tell you what you need. You need God's peace. And by the way, there's a divine order. Everybody in this world is looking for peace, but they're skipping grace. You don't get peace by trying to have peace. You get peace by discovering God's grace. And when you get God's grace, hallelujah, you get God's peace. That's your deepest needs. And then when you come to verse number 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Here's your broadest blessings. He said, I've circled this word in my Bible. You get it all, all spiritual blessings. The greatest blessings in life are not material, they're spiritual. The greatest riches are not money and stuff and things and houses and clothes and, and cars. No, the greatest blessings are what money can't buy and death can't take away from you. It's what nobody else can give you but God. It's spiritual. It's lasting. And I love this expression, in heavenly places. Somebody says, yeah, well, that doesn't help me. I'm living on earth. No, you missed the point. God is saying he's given you all of heaven's bank account to meet earth's debts. He's given you all of heaven's resources so that you can live on this earth. 
Peter said it this way, we have all things that pertain to life and godliness. Hey, I got some good news for you today. Whatever it is you need, your Father will provide if you'll just trust Him. Look, all that He has, all that He is, and all that you need, that's what you get through a relationship with your Heavenly Father. When Jesus rose from the dead, first person He appeared to was Mary. Remember Mary Magdalene? And He says to her, don't touch me, I'm not yet ascended. And then He said this, He said, Go to my brethren, the disciples, and tell them, that I'm going to my God and your God. That's good. But watch, he said, go tell them, I'm going to my Father and, oh, I love this, your Father. Jesus said, something's changed now. I've made a way so that you can come to the Father. Years ago, we were in England. Buckingham Palace is imposing. High walls and gates and fences all around it and guards. If you've ever been there, you know what I'm talking about. If you've ever seen pictures of Buckingham Palace, you can visualize the guards. They're very stern. They're all dressed a certain way, and they're extremely stern. And I watch this with my own eyes. People can come up to them and wave their hand in front of their face. They never flinch. I watch young people try to make them laugh. They don't laugh. I mean, they are very stern people, and it is a very secure location. And long ago, there was a True story, a boy who lived in the London area that walked a couple miles to the palace one morning, walked up to the gate and tried to gain entrance in. And when they asked him why he wanted in, he said, I just want to see the king. I want to speak to the king. I want to talk to the king. Little boy basically lived on the streets, face dirty and hair disheveled and clothes a mess and just, you know, just a kid. They thought he could just walk into the palace, and, of course, he was rebuffed and turned away. He tried. He walked all the way around. It goes for blocks. He walked all the way around. He tried every gate, every gate, every gate. No, 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 no. And finally, he sat down over a corner and started crying. About that moment, a, an entourage of men walked around the corner. Fascinating. Well-dressed guy had an entourage with him. He saw the boy. He stopped for a moment, knelt down next to him, and he said, Son, what's the matter with you? And the boy said, I, I came to see the king, but they won't let me in today. And the man stood up, buttoned his coat, brushed himself off, and he said to the boy, well, I'm going in. And the little boy's eyes got big, and he said, you think you can get in? He said, I'm pretty sure I can. He said to the boy, son, would you like to go in with me? And he said, well, you think that'll work? And he said, I think it will. He said, here's what we're going to do. You're going to take me by the hand. We're going to walk right up to that gate, and the soldier's going to step aside. The gate's going to open. We're walking into the palace, and I'm going to take you right into the throne room where the king is at this moment. And the little boy stood up, dried his eyes, took the young man by the hand, started walking to the gate, and this time the same soldier that had turned him away a few minutes ago stepped to the side and saluted at attention. Uh, the gate, not part of it, all of it swung open wide. And suddenly the door of the palace came open, and right through the, the gate and through the door walked the whole entourage, little boy in hand, right into the palace and right into the throne room of the king. What the boy did not know was at that moment he had by the hand the prince of Wales, the king's son. And you see, watch please, when he got connected to the son, he got access to the father. And there was a day in my life, I tried the same thing. I got baptized. I joined a church. I got a Bible. I tried hard. I did better. I worked at it. I was doing everything I knew to do. 
to get access to God. I wanted a father. I wanted a family. I wanted to belong. In every way I tried to come, they said, sorry, sorry, can't gain entrance that way. Sorry, can't get in here. Sorry, that will never work. And then, blessed be the day, there was a moment when the Son of God, the Lord Jesus, came to me and reached out a nail-pierced hand and said, I'm going in. Would you like to go in with me? And on that day, I got connected to Jesus, the perfect Son. And on that day, I gained access to the Heavenly Father and to all of His resources. I'm going to tell you something. When Jesus Christ ascended and went back to heaven and the gates swung open wide and he sat down at the right hand of the heavenly Father to pray for us, when Jesus went through that door, he left the door open behind him. And the Son made a way so that every child of God could know the Father's resources. Oh, but that's not all. There's more. Keep reading. Look at verse number 4. According as he had chosen us in him. Before the foundation of the world, that we should be a holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children. You see that Father word, the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. Would you write this down? When you got a Father, you not only got the Father's resources, you got the Father's plan. By the way, our Heavenly Papa. And I say that with no disrespect, with all reverence. Our heavenly Papa, he's got the perfect plan. He knows what he's doing. The old adage, your father knows best, doesn't always apply to earthly fathers, but it certainly applies to the heavenly Father. Here's his plan. You ready? The Father's plan first was to give us Jesus' record. You could never come into the family on your own because it's a perfect family, and you're not perfect. So here's what the heavenly Father did. He made a way. Look at that phrase, the last phrase we just read in verse 6. You're accepted in the what? Beloved. Do you remember what God the Father said from heaven on two different occasions about Jesus? This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. May I say to you, the only way we're accepted in the family is on the good credit of the beloved Son. Watch this. When you come to faith in Jesus, several of you came to Christ last night. I want to say thank God for you. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for others that need to come to Christ this week. When you come to Jesus, He takes all of your sin and you take all of His righteousness. He takes all of your mess and you take all of His glory. That's the way it works. Some of you are trying so hard to be accepted. So hard to be accepted by authorities or so hard to be accepted by peers or so hard to be accepted in your own mind. That's not how you get accepted. No, no. God accepts you on Jesus' good name, you get accepted in the beloved. And then watch, the plan doesn't stop there. It really just starts there because then God the Father starts working in you to make you more and more every day like Jesus. You know what God's great plan and purpose is? It's for you to become more like Jesus Christ. So in the end, your life will be a testimony of the grace of God. You know what God's doing in your life this week? And frankly, it's a little painful. Let's just get real for a minute. In these services, it gets a little serious and a little painful. But I'm going to tell you why. Because God is getting out of us everything that doesn't look like Jesus and putting into us everything that does look like Jesus. Why? Because that's what the Heavenly Father wants to do for all of His children. And when you get to heaven someday, guess what's going to happen? The Bible says we're going to be made like unto the Son of God. In other words, you are going on that day to have all this sinful stuff and sinful body gone, and you're going to be made like the Son who always pleases the Father. 
Number one, you get the Father's resources. Number two, you get the Father's plan. Number three, write it down, you get the Father's family. See, when you get a father, you get a family. Don't you love all these family names? Look at verse number five again. The Bible says the adoption of children. I was thinking about this. How do you get in this family? How do you get in this family? That's a good question, isn't it? How do you get in the family of God? In the good providence of God this morning at breakfast, I sat next to a fine couple, leaders who are here this week, who are foster parents. I didn't plan to sit with them. I don't think they knew what I was speaking on today. And they started talking to me about the love they have in their heart for the children they've been able to foster. And now how those foster children are being adopted into their family. Fascinating. Some of you have been adopted. That's a great privilege. It means you were chosen. It means somebody picked you. I mean, frankly, the three children that we have, we didn't get to pick. They're just who God picked and gave to us. But when you adopt... You choose, and I started thinking about this. Really, people come into a family one of two ways. You're either born into the family or you're adopted into the family. Did it ever dawn on you that in the family of God, we come in both ways? That in the New Testament, God uses both? He says you must be born again, so we're born into the family of God through faith in Christ. But at the same time, we're adopted into the family of God. Why would he use both? He's showing how perfect it is how God brings us in his family. It's a birth, meaning it's miraculous. But it's adoption, meaning that God works of his own divine will and love to draw us to himself. And on both counts, there's a miracle. It is the miracle that the God of the universe would want us to be in his forever family. And maybe some of you, I have no idea who I'm talking to, maybe some of you right now are wounded so deeply and hurt so badly because family has disappointed you and family has forsaken and family's not turned out the way you wanted it to. And you look at some other family and think, I wish I had that. Listen to me. God made a way so that whether you're in a good family or a poor family on this earth, spiritually and eternally, you could be a part of the greatest family ever, which is the family of God. The psalmist said, when my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. What's he saying? When the people that you trusted the most and loved the most let you down, God the Father never will. He has brought you into his family. Keep reading, though. Look at verse 7. And then we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace, wherein He hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He hath purposed in Himself. All right, Lord, what is that purpose? What is that pleasure? Look at verse 10. Here's God's great purpose for His family, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. Can I tell you what God's getting ready to do with his family? He's getting ready to have a gigantic family reunion at the Father's house. Huge. You ever been to a family reunion? How many of you have been to a family reunion before? How many of you know family reunions are not all they're cracked up to be all the time? Yeah. Can I tell you, this is going to be one family reunion you don't want to miss. I hope you're planning to be there. Uh, Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. What's he saying? He's saying that the Father's purpose for his family, ready for this, is not just here on earth. Oh, it's great on earth. That's what a church is all about. 
That's how I can walk in a room like this and only know a handful of people and in just a few minutes feel very much at home because we're members of the same family. We have the same father. Look around you just a second. Don't look at me. Everybody look around you. See those people sitting around you? How many of you are saved? Raise your hand big and high. Look around you. Look around you. You know what you're looking at right now? Put your hands down and look at me. You are looking not just at friends. You are looking at brothers and sisters in Christ. You say, I don't want him as a brother. Sorry, you don't get a choice in it, all right? The reality is we are members of the same family because we have the same father. But wait a minute. That is not just good for here. That's good for eternity. And our father says, someday the whole family is going to have a get-together. Are you going to be there? Is your whole family here on earth going to be there? How about all your friends? Are you sure all your friends are coming to the get-together? Because the only tragedy is going to be that some people never get to go to the Father's house because they don't know the Heavenly Father. Oh, young people, listen to me. God has so much more for His family. See, the family of God is never met together in one place. Not yet, but they're going to. Right now, some are in heaven and some are on earth, but very soon we're all going to be together at the Father's house. That's what the Father's purpose is. One more thing I'll show you. Look at the Father's inheritance. By the way, usually you get the inheritance when the father dies. Our father is the eternal, the everlasting father. He's never dying. But here's his everlasting inheritance. Look at verse 11. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance. Mark that in verse 11. Being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believe you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our, there's the word, mark it again, inheritance. You got it in verse 11. You got it in verse 14. Under the redemption of the purchased possession, under the praise of His glory. Can I tell you, our Father's loaded. Your, your heavenly Father is rich. You say, I'm poor, preacher. No, you're not. Physically, you might be. Spiritually, you are not. Because your heavenly Father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And your inheritance, watch this, is God's spiritual riches now and then God's reward for all eternity. And you know, honestly, you can't beat being a Christian. He comes to live in your house now, and you get to go live in his house forever. That's a pretty good deal. The Lord gives you himself now and then takes you to be with himself later. Oh, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Here's our scripture for tomorrow. Psalm 23 ends this way. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And, oh, thank God for the end, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In other words, the Father says, I'm going to give you part of the inheritance now and all of the inheritance later, but I'm going to give you everything I have planned to give you. And would you like proof? God says, all right, I'll give you a down payment. Look at verse number 14. He gives the Holy Spirit as the earnest of our inheritance. I don't know if you know that word earnest or not, but when we bought a home years ago, we had to put down what they called earnest money. It means you're for real. Earnest means the down payment. Watch this. The Holy Spirit that came to live in you when you got saved, that's God's down payment on the fact He's going to keep every promise He made to you. You have the Holy Spirit in you, and soon He is going to fulfill everything He planned to do with every one of His children. By the way, do you see in Ephesians 1 how all three members of the Godhead are here? 
We talk about the Trinity. The Bible word is Godhead. God the Father's here. God the Son's here. God's the Holy, God the Holy Spirit's here. One God expressed in three persons. Oh, this is glorious. And God made a way so you, you get to come into their family. See, family was God's idea. In fact, in eternity past, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the perfect family in unbroken union and communion. And then God made a way so sinners like us, <laughs> thank you, Jesus, could come into his family. And some of you, you still haven't quite figured out how wonderful it is that you get to open the Bible and pray. It's just something you do. Like in a minute, it's just, that's oh, God night time. I'm going to do it because I'm supposed to and everybody's watching and I'm going to check a box off. No, no, no. You get to talk to your father. And, and he wants to talk to you. Did you know there's a conversation going on in heaven right now? At this moment around the throne, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are talking about you. You say, I don't believe that. It's in the Bible. The Holy Spirit is praying for you right now with groanings which cannot be uttered. And Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Heavenly Father, and He ever liveth making intercession for you. Watch this. That means at this moment, if nobody on earth is thinking about you or talking about you, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are communing about you at this moment. And when you come to prayer, let me tell you what you really do. You get to come into a prayer meeting that's already in progress. In a moment, when you say, our Father, you step into the presence. Look, the living room of heaven, that's where you step into. The Father's throne room is the living room of heaven. When you say, our Father, in Jesus' name, you are coming in to a communion with God, our Father, because you are now a part of His family. There are two things I'm concerned about this morning. The first is this. I want you to know He's your Father. In the last two nights, we've had a number of young people saved, and I thank God but in a group this size, I'm certain there's still people here who are not certain of your own relationship with God. And I want to say to you, you can come into the family of God today. Call on the Lord and be saved today. And if you know He's your Father, then I want to challenge you today to come to know Him better. Forgive me for using a dirty word in the middle of the summer. But I'm going to give you a homework assignment, all right? That's rough. I know. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Forgive me. Give me a little room here. When you walk out those doors in a moment, Bible in hand, look, please, when you get out there, get away from each other. The tendency is everybody sits close together and we get distracted by each other. Get off by yourself today. When you open your Bible, don't just read the chapter. Did you hear what I just said? I'm telling you, don't just read the Bible. Instead, pray your way through the passage. I did this today with Ephesians 1. I took Ephesians 1, I started in verse 1, and I read one verse, and then I stopped and talked to God about that verse, and I thanked the Lord that He would call me a saint, and I prayed that I could be faithful. I got to verse 2, and I said, Lord, I need grace today. I need fresh grace today. And Lord, I need peace, and my family needs peace. And I prayed that. And I prayed my way, verse by verse. And you know the most amazing thing happened? God started showing me things in Scripture, and God brought my prayer life alive. Do you know why? Because I wasn't just doing something. I was having a conversation with a real person, God my Father. And I want to challenge you today to meet your Father in the Word and talk to Him. Father, bless these young people, your children. And may this be a day they come to know their Father in a more personal way. In Jesus' name.
If this Bible message has been used of God in your life, or we can pray for you in some definite way, please contact us at enjoyingthejourney.org. We hope you will share the message with others who may also be encouraged by it. For additional full-length Bible messages, please visit Dr. Scott Pauley's YouTube channel. Tomorrow is the Lord's Day, and we want to encourage you to be faithful to attend a Bible-preaching church in your area this Sunday. Thank you for listening to The Weekend Pulpit. And don't miss Enjoying the Journey daily devotional podcast each Monday through Friday.